Some say he's a technical whiz. Some say he was born in Cornwall. While some say that he's on a journey. It's the journey. And here's your host, David Hackett. Welcome to the journey, Mac McGregor. Hi, David. Good to be here. Nice to meet you. Now, everyone has a journey, and that's why this podcast stroke video is called The Journey, and obviously every title is different, so we have to make this unique. But where does your journey begin? (laughs) Well, I guess it began when I was uh, a little kid. Growing up in the South, in the Bible Belt, in the United States, and, um, you know, I was uh, born female at birth, and at four years old, four and five years old, I started changing my name, playing with other kids, because I knew that the name I was given didn't fit me. And so I started changing my name to a masculine name, playing with other kids. I didn't know how to explain it. I didn't have the language to explain it. But um, I just knew that something didn't feel right, that didn't, you know, resonate with me. And so um, all I knew how to do was to change my name. And so that's basically where the journey began. And then at six years old, I found the martial arts. And uh, I call that my soulmate. And uh, I think it really saved my life because I was a kid with a lot of energy and needed a healthy place to put that energy and came from a pretty dysfunctional family. So that was like my healthy place to be. And uh, I, you know, just ate it up. I was the kind of kid in the, in the martial arts dojo that they had to kick out and tell me to go home every night. Cause I just wanted to be there so much and loved it. And I took off in it. I was very natural at it. And uh, by the time I was 17, I won the U S lightweight fighting championships and uh you know, started traveling the world, then competing. And, and that just opened up the world for me and and uh, got me out of that little conservative area uh, and allowed me to see that there were, you know, lots of diverse people in the world and that I wasn't so stuck. And, uh, you know, just I got to explore different cultures and different types of people. And that was an amazing experience. Yeah, because obviously being stuck in that, if you want to put it in a nice way, stuck in a shell where you couldn't be yourself. I assume that was a very difficult time because obviously you knew what you wanted to be. But at a young age, it is a difficult to express because they will say, it's just growing up, it's normal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, it is it is, you know, difficult to be able to explore who you are when you're in such a confining environment. Uh, and, you know, I think if you're different in any way, right, the, the, there's just such strict, rigid rules. And I went to a Southern Baptist high school and, and uh, you know, it was, it was just, uh, it was tough. 
And in fact, they even told us, you know, uh, one of the things we had to sign at our high school was that you you can't roller skate and you can't dance and you can't even associate with people who do those things because that was a slippery slope to sin, you know, <laughs> if you go roller skating. I was like, wow. You know? uh, so, you know, I just I just found it just ridiculously confi- confining and I'm, I've always had such a diverse group of friends and, and just enjoyed meeting people with all kinds of different backgrounds and experiences that that just <laughs> never worked for me. <laughs> and so it goes on to say that you're the author of Positive Masculinity Now, which takes a deep dive, as it says, into gender expectation, socialization and messaging. Can you elaborate what that means? Yeah, you know, I've been teaching gender now for quite a while. I've had quite an interesting study of it with my life journey, right? And I've been an educator. Uh, you know, I've been teaching martial arts since I was pretty young as well. And, and um, you know, so studying the way people behave and treat you in different phases of this gender journey I've had has been really interesting. And studying the way we've all been socialized as to What's expected of you, you know, when you walk the world as a female versus what's expected of you when you, um, you know, grow up as a, as a boy or, or walking the world as a guy. It's very different. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of expectations and things we don't think about, but that's called gender socialization. And, and uh, we all have layers of this, some of it even unconscious. Um, that we carry around. And part of what I do in this book is I get people to go back and examine the way they were socialized around gender and which helps form our belief systems and how we judge others and how we judge ourselves and find out what part of that's still serving you well and what part of it isn't and, and get rid of the parts that aren't and replace it with something healthier. Um, so that's basically what I'm doing in the book, you know, looking at our role models and, and the messaging we were given around these things, um, you know, like boys aren't allowed to have feelings, <laughs> right? <laughs> if we show tenderness, that's weakness. If we ask for help, that's weakness. Those kinds of messages are very unhealthy. And, you know, the highest suicide rate is among middle-aged men. And I think part of that is because of that messaging, mm. you know. Because I always understood, and it's because I know someone who's going from male to female. Now, they find it difficult because society where they live, they feel out of place because of the way society is around them. And I just think that's damaging them. Now, they say they're okay being female. They're proud of being themselves. But... You know, I've seen on their social media, and I'm not saying their name because I have to respect that, but it damages them. They've come a long way. They've overcame issues in their life, which touch wood, they keep into. But I just feel like society as a whole damages because they don't fully understand the concept. Now, you understand your concept if you're male, you understand your concept if you're female, and like you said, showing feelings if you're a man is difficult. So this person had to shut off all things to adapt to being female. And I've seen their journey. I haven't 
spoken to them for however long, but I know their journey is still ongoing. So it's a difficult concept, I would think, for that adaptation. It is. You know, there has been some interesting um, brain neuro neuroscience studies of people who knew who they were from very young, like me, trans people. You know, I started changing my name, like I said, four and five years old, playing with other kids. So those of us that knew that young, they've done brain mapping studies that show the way our brains work and are wired. We think more like even though I was born female, my brain is wired to think more masculine. It's just the way my brain uh, works. And so they've done a lot of studies on trans people that have known. And, and that's pretty common. Um, you know, so it gender is a lot more complicated than than we think it is. It's not just about genitalia, for instance, and uh, and hormone levels and everybody's hormone levels are different. Um, and I don't know if you've heard about intersex people, but it tells us gender is not black and white. So intersex people are folks that are born with some of both male and both female biological sex characteristics. And there are as many intersex people in the world as there are redheads. So I want you to just think about that. Now they've discovered since they've undone the genome that there are 60 variations of being intersex, that is different ways you can have some of both of those biological sex characteristics. And uh, so that tells us that there's a whole lot of gray in this gender area. It's just not black and white. <laughs> and we still have a lot to discover. I think in 25 years, we'll know a lot more about that. And do you think that's where the perception will be easier to understand in years to come? Or do you think it is slowly adapting now? I think it's slowly adapting. You know, I think people now understand that sexuality is a spectrum. It's not just gay or straight, right? There's a big spectrum to sexuality. And I think people are, I think more people are starting to understand that gender is like that too. When I teach about gender, one of the things I point out is if you lined up a hundred men, and I'm talking people born male, there are a lot of different ways to be masculine. You can have the most macho guys on one end of that line. You know, we're talking like the Rocky Balboas, the, the rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson, you have all these jock guys. And then on the other end, you have Fred Rogers. That's a very different form of masculinity. Right. But it's still masculinity. Yeah. It's so like it shows you there's a big spectrum, right? <laughs> it's like the autistic spectrum you know you nowadays you can't say you got autism and you can't say you got asperger's you've got to say you're on the asd scale which is you know you've got to say i'm autistic spectrum disordered so the spectrum has gone from being labeled as one particular label to being a broad label and i think that's where they understand for even masculinity femininity Yes. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And it is the same for femininity, right? We, you know, when you ask someone to describe what masculinity is, which I've done this because I've talked to groups all over about this. It's really interesting when I say you can't, I want you to describe masculinity to me, but don't use any body parts. 
And people like I have rooms full of hundreds of people that stumble around to try to figure out how to describe what masculinity is. Um, it's really interesting when you think about it, because the first thing somebody will say, well, like, well, maybe masculine people are more mechanically minded. So that's something that sometimes comes up, right? And then someone else will raise their hand and go, yeah, well, I have an aunt Betty who can fix anything. She's the one in the family that he can <laughs> fix anything, right? When anybody breaks anything, they take it to her. You know? <laughs> and so, you know, you can always debunk that, right? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, oh. it's really an interesting study. So it says about going on to things, it says you'll learn about the experience of breaking free from traditional gender models. So this is where we're talking about the perception of masculinity looking macho. And it goes on to say about in order to create healthy relationships, careers, friendships and self-images. Now that helps the mold understand you better. And I assume it without others understand that person yeah you know one of the the big things about having healthy relationships is we have to be emotionally available for them <laughs> and that's a big obstacle for the masculine the way we've been socialized to shut most of our emotions down um you know the acceptable emotions still for most masculine people are uh, anger, frustration, or high-fiving our buddies after our team won the game. You know, we're <laughs> those are about the, the three emotions that we're allowed to have. If we show tenderness or sadness or say, you know, uh, we're depressed or we're grieving, like grief is a big one. How do men express grief? Well, the majority of men keep it all bottled up inside mm. because we've been taught not to talk about those kinds <laughs> of hard things, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then that comes out in unhealthy ways. It comes out either in our own health, right? Because we're holding all that inside. Or, you know, it comes out in domestic violence or other things, you know, that are unhealthy or substance abuse. Um, so that's why we need to learn that we were all created as emotional beings and this messaging we were given is just, it's not serving us well. It's just yeah. not healthy. And it's about addressing those issues to make yourself not look weak, but also making you still look strong. Yes. Oh yeah. You know, it's really a lie that we were fed that uh, being vulnerable equals weakness because one of the things I've been looking at is everything I've ever accomplished in my life that was worthwhile. I've had to embrace vulnerability in order to accomplish it. I've had to put myself out there, right? Mm. So whether I won a big championship in a competition, I had to risk, I had to take the risk of losing, of getting hurt, of being embarrassed in front of a stadium full of people. I had to risk all of that to even put myself out there to try to win that competition, right? That's embracing vulnerability. When we get love in our lives, we fall in love. What do we do to fall in love? We embrace vulnerability. We put ourselves out there, right? Mm. If we reach out to, to develop a, a new friendship and we reach out to somebody to try to get to know them and spend time with them, that's a vulnerable thing to do because you could be rejected. 
right? Everything in our lives that we've ever starting this, writing this book, that's a vulnerable thing to do, right? Because you're putting it out for the world. You put your heart and soul into it and then you put it out into the world for people to judge and do what they will with it. You know, all of these things require us to embrace vulnerability. So we need to reframe our thinking around vulnerability and understand that it's actually a superpower. We're never going to get anything we want unless we choose to embrace vulnerability. And then it's embracing a passion in it to maintain it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We need to look at it as a positive. Exactly. So it then goes on to say you've been a keynote speaker of many events, including Mayo Clinic and many colleges, organizations and conferences. And that includes the University of Washington, where you as a guest instructor each semester and you discussed the complexities of gender, transgender, gender non-conforming. Now, obviously, you said about the people and looking at people as oh, do you think they were able to concept what you was talking about or were there still puzzled faces in that mix? <laughs> well, I think... Um, you have to peel back layers when we're talking about socialization. So sometimes I come into the room, you know, to speak to a hundred people, let's just say, and people are in different areas of their journey and their learning, you know, so it, for one person, I may just open their mind to the concept that gender isn't so black and white. And to another person, they're a little, they've already got that gender is not black and white, but, but they don't understand you know, more of the complexities of our socialization and how that's helped form our belief systems and stuff. So they, they get a little different message out of it. So it just really depends on where the person is in their, in their journey. Um, you know, I try to be, you know, I try to come at this with a lot of warmth and grace and, and, the, and I let people know, look, we're all still learning and figuring this out. None of us have it all figured out. Mm. It's a pretty complex. Um, it's a pretty complex issue, and we're still learning. And you know, I don't come at, at, as like I'm the know-it-all because no, we're science is still figuring this out for goodness' sake. So you know, so I think it relaxes people. Um, you know, one of the things that's very interesting is about seven years ago, the Huffington Post. Uh, had an article that said more people in the United States of America claim to have seen a ghost than have ever met a transgender person in person, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Right. Mm. And, it, and the statistic was about 12% of the people claim to have seen a ghost. So, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we were under that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so one of the things I do when I go out and speak is I always tell everybody, come, please come and shake my hand afterwards so you can officially say you've met a transgender person in person and we can up the statistic <laughs> <laughs> so that this isn't so foreign, you know, because it's easy to judge a group of people when you've never come face to face with someone. It's easy to have false ideas about a group of people when you've never had a conversation with someone in that group, Right. You just believe some of the things you hear or some of the articles you read about that group of people and you really don't know. You know, I've had so many people say to me, well, Mac, they meet me and then they go, wow, you're a really nice guy. I'd actually have a beer with you. Like, 
yeah, you know, we don't bite. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can be really, you know, if people are afraid. A lot of people are afraid of transgender people and people that are a little on the, you know, gender nonconforming spectrum because they haven't had the exposure. Uh, no, I would assume that's down to the, you know, and I'm not saying this example with you, but it then goes back to the example of being gay or lesbian. You know, people are afraid of that because they haven't experienced being involved with that. Now, yeah. my late nan, God bless her, she didn't like the fact of my mum being a lesbian hmm. because hmm. she was. my nan was born in a generation where lesbians and gays weren't heard of right now my mom was born in the late well 66 late 1966 and then i was born in 83 so my generation was adjusting to it and for the 90s it just felt okay then when i hit a certain age in school it's like it was that generation again where it started splitting apart so it's yeah. like it's gone from not understanding, understanding, splitting apart. And I think, in a sense, today's society is kind of there with transgender, you know, LGBTQ, you know. But it's still not the clear understanding as it was in the time when I was understanding it. Yeah, we still have a long way to go, right? I think the, the fight for marriage equality really helps uh, gay and lesbian folks because a lot more gay and lesbian couples came out to their neighbors and the people they worked with and went to school with. And, you know, I think a lot more people now understand that love is love. It's, <laughs> and it's not a threat to them for somebody to love somebody of the same sex. You know? uh, so I think there's more understanding there now around the world. Um, but we still have you know, the, the gender issue, uh, you know, understanding trans and, and gender nonconforming folks still has a long way to go. It's still far behind um, the, you know, understanding of, of being. And that's why I feel bad for my friend who is, like I said, going from male to female, because they, you know, they try as hard as much as they can to be feminine. Yeah. But because yeah. people's perceptions, oh, it's a man in a skirt. And I'm like, no, it's not a man in a skirt. It's a p lady who's trying to adapt to being. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it's so different according to where you are regionally, right? Like I'm in, in Seattle now. It's very different here, you know, than it was in the South in the United States. Like even in the United States, in this one country, there are like five different, you know, total different environments. Uh, I, I say there's like five countries within our country because it's regionally very different, you know, and that's the same in a lot of countries, right? It can be different regionally according to where you are in that country, what's acceptable and what's not, and just how open-minded people are um, or not, you know, and that's hard. It's hard to navigate those societal expectations when you don't fit into the, the mainstream norm, you know, and that actually what the word transgender means. A lot of people don't know this, uh, the transgender umbrella, we call it the word actually means, uh, it means opposites. Trans means opposites. So it means, you know, your inside doesn't match your outside, basically the body you were born in. Right. 
but the the umbrella means somebody who doesn't fit into the gender norms of the day. So that's a lot of people that don't fit exactly into the gender norms, right? Yeah. So going to the future, you, we already touched upon it already in a sense, but do you think the perception will be, and I'll say this again just to clarify, do you think it will be more understanding or do you think there will still be that element of fear within people? Hmm. Yeah, I think we're, I think it's going to be more understanding. I will tell you that the young people um, growing up today give me a lot of hope as far as um, they don't really care. They just want you to be who you are. They don't care if you love someone of the same sex, most of them. Um, you know, I ran for office here in Seattle and was the first transgender person on a ballot in the state of Washington uh, running for city council here. And my stepson was in high school and we talked to him about it because I didn't, we didn't want him, you know, his, some of his friend's parents to hear about it on the news and say something to him. So we were trying to prepare him in case somebody said anything. And uh, he talked to his friends about it and came back and I said, so, you know, we were like, we wanted to check in a couple of days later. So did you talk to everybody? He said, yeah. I said, how, how was it? And he said, uh, he said, they went, Hmm, that's interesting. Your your stepdad's trans. He said, "Okay, that's cool. Want to go get a burger?" <laughs> they didn't care. You know, they were like, "Okay, that's cool." <laughs> you know, it's like no big deal. <laughs> you know, I was more worried that somebody would say something to him or bully him because of it. But that's because of the generation I grew up in, right? The kids yeah. he went to school with could care less. They were like, "Okay, whatever." <laughs> <laughs> So regarding your book, where can people get it, which I will put in the link down in the description after we finish and it's edited, but where can people get your book? Yeah, people can get it on Amazon, Positive Masculinity Now, and it is available right now in Kindle and in print. And I am working right now. I am in process of recording the audio book, and that'll be out probably in February or March. So I'm very excited about getting the audio book out because I've had a lot of people, I want to make it accessible to all folks. And I've had just had so many people tell me that that's a, you know, better way for them to take a book in. Like I, I didn't realize before that a lot of people with ADHD have, you know, that's the best way for them to take a book in as well. Not just people with, with uh, vision issues or things like that. So um, yeah, so I'm excited about the audio book coming out. And also, I think audio book will be good for people who are autistic because yes. autistic, it sinks in more. So to give some reassurance and to give hope, what would you say to people watching, listening now? Mm. Well, one thing I would say is be open. Be open and be curious. I think curiosity is such a superpower. Be curious about people, um, you know, because everyone has an interesting story if we're curious. And, you know, a lot of times we don't know that story behind the person. And but if we're willing to be curious and ask some questions, we'll, we'll find some really interesting things, I think, from each person. Curiosity to me keeps us from getting bored in life. It helps us continue to be a student of life forever, which keeps us stimulated, keeps our mind stimulated, which keeps us younger, 
you know, <laughs> you want to know the trick to not aging? Stay curious. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mac, it's been a pleasure talking to you about your journey today. Let's hope people's understanding gets more clear for the future and stays clearer and doesn't remain black and white. I hope there is some colour to it all. Yes. Thank you, David. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. That was The Journey, hosted by Wise Words Imaging, hosted by David Hackett. Be sure to like, subscribe and listen to another journey coming soon.